snakes or cats, which would you take? Uh, do you mean rabid cats? Yes. Yeah, really, uh... Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Scattered. It's um, lovely to be looking at the last two chapters in Acts today, um, chapters 27 and 28. Now, they are there's a lot in there, so I think we want to just say a little disclaimer of there'll be lots of things that we could talk about that we won't, but um, yeah, it's exciting to be seeing how Luke brings his story of the Acts of the Lord Jesus to a conclusion. Delightful to be joined by Mary and Helen. Hello, ladies. Hi. Hello. Um, so the first thing I'd love us to think about a little bit is in chapter 27, there's a big storm. Paul actually boards a ship and it ends up being two different ships and sets sail for Rome. And I was really struck in this section about how practically minded in lots of ways Paul is and how wise he is about um, what should happen when there's a storm or when things go wrong on the ship. I just wondered what you thought about that and what struck you about Paul's demeanour and how he was on this quite um, tricky journey. Something that struck me was Paul's relationship with this uh, Julius guy who's um, a Roman, isn't he? He's in charge. Um, and I was just struck by the fact that he has, like, practically speaking, like, it's a very practical point, but he obviously gets on well with people um, to the extent that, like, here they don't listen to him, but um, it does say in verse three, doesn't he? Julius, in kindness to Paul, when they land at Sidon, allowed him to go and see his friends. Um, and obviously, like, later on, uh, when the soldiers want to kill all the prisoners, um, and they don't because the this this guy wants to save Paul. Um, like he obviously makes good relationships with people, doesn't he? And I I don't know. I just think that's interesting. Yeah, I think it's a helpful thing to think about when um, you know Paul Julius is taking Paul, isn't he? He's a centurion. He's a Roman centurion. He's Paul's guard, effectively taking him to uh, to Rome. And yet Paul really makes an effort to build relationships with him, even though he's taking him to a difficult place. I think that's such a challenge to us, isn't it? To build relationships with everyone. I, I think in our day and age, we're often very quick to, oh, that person's toxic. I need to drop them. Or this person is not one of my people. Or this person is not somebody that I would choose to be friends with. And therefore I'm not going to. Whereas here Paul makes an effort to build a relationship with somebody who he probably you know is his guard and then this guy is witnessed to beautifully I think it's a real challenge to us yeah because who is Paul really like he's a he's a prisoner being taken somewhere like it could have just been that couldn't it but um it, Paul kind of seems to have this knack of being forward in his views which is good here um, but also, yeah, he's just confident, isn't he? And later when he's like uh, in verses 23, 24, when he's telling them all, like, keep up your courage. Um, you know, an angel's come to me and said that everyone's going to be OK. He's, he's speaking up, isn't he? He's like, and I believe this. I have faith in God that it will happen. He's like open, openly witnessing to them. And I just think that's part of his character, isn't it? Um, even in the difficulty of the storm, um, he's speaking truth to them. 
um, even though it must have been quite hard when everyone, like it says before that, doesn't he? Doesn't it? Basically, we find verse 20, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Like everyone's probably feeling like that. And yet Paul's like, but I believe God's going to come through for us. And it's interesting, isn't it? I feel like as the passage progresses, their confidence in him grows. Like at the beginning, he gives some advice and they're like, what do you know? But I guess he is quite an experienced sailor, isn't he? Because he's been on so many voyages around the Mediterranean um, sharing the gospel. And yeah, I was fascinated about the way that their their confidence and trust in him grows as the passage goes on. And by the end, Julius especially is like, okay, we need to do what Paul says. Like there's a lot of, this guy has wisdom. However he has it, he has a lot of wisdom. Yeah, to the extent, isn't it, at the towards the end of chapter 27, they're even willing to eat some of the rations. You know, they've, got, they've just had this episode where um, Paul's told them we have to run aground on some island and there's, you know, we, we might run aground on the rocks. We let down four anchors and we were seeking, they, the sailors were seeking to escape and it's, you know, the pressure builds. But then as the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food and they did. They ate some of the rations and that's actually quite a big deal, isn't it? When you don't know what's going to happen, you don't know how long you're going to be there. And yet they trusted Paul enough. They trust. They began this sort of little inkling of trusting in his God enough to provide that they ate those rations. Yeah, I thought that was interesting about this growing trust and this just slow, steady, faithful witness that Paul has been giving to them through his building his relationships with them. I found that really challenging and encouraging. Yeah, I love the picture of him uh, in verse 35, him breaking, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of all, in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. And there's just, I don't know, it brought to my mind the picture of Jesus breaking the bread uh, with his disciples and Jesus being the bread. Um, I just loved that picture um, because I kind of thought, you know, this could have been a, a wonderful moment for Paul, you know, if he could calm storms or something like that, you know, this could have been his moment to like step up and do something really amazing um and for some reason he doesn't or he can't um and I I kind of like that like it's so messy isn't it it's like we're all gonna be saved but that saving is gonna look so messy um we are basically gonna be crawling ashore um you know God delivers and he comes through on his promises but it doesn't always mean that it's gonna be beautiful kind of show um and you know these these people like they they're all going to sit together on the shore together and, and make a fire um but they've got a lot to go through before they get to that point and it's just so messy isn't it and and even for Paul like for somebody who you kind of think has this like straight line with God um even for him it's super messy and that's cha- that's challenging for me like my uh my life at the moment is quite kind of up and down and feels kind of stormy and God doesn't always do the kind of simple calming of the storm thing does he sometimes he's with us in the storm but he lets us go through that storm and get shipwrecked and crawl to the shore um and yet he still delivers and comes through on his promises yeah I just thought um it was just a really great picture of salvation isn't it you know Paul and his friends they get hope of salvation from death they're reassured about um their salvation from death but not from the shipwreck and I thought that was such a good analogy for our lives (laughs) You know, God promises, doesn't he? This is where you're going to end up. But life is not going to be easy. But again, in verse 21 and 22, you know, there's this, I think it's 21 and 22. There's this, this message of hope in the depths of despair. And I thought that is the gospel, isn't it? We're in this shipwreck of a life. 
but there's this message of hope that it's okay it's going to be okay there's salvation there's ultimate salvation from death yeah Mm. I think I was reading it and thinking oh Paul's so wise he knows just the right thing to do in the right situation but then I was really convicted by that section in the middle that you don't get that wisdom do you just by being a wise person he Paul has that wisdom by walking really closely with the Lord day in and day out and yeah, it really struck me in those verses, 23, 24, 25. You know, he knows God's with him in the shipwreck and in the storm. He knows that he belongs to God, you know, the God to whom I belong. He knows that he's on God's mission because he's going to get to Caesar. And then he trusts that God. And I, yeah, I was super challenged by that about are we prepared to put that effort in day after day to our walk with the Lord so that those truths are really settled into our hearts when the storms come or do we panic because we're not convinced who we belong to or that God's got a mission for us and that he's promising to be with us so yeah I I think I found that really challenging about making sure the truths that God's promised are deeply embedded in our hearts through walking closely with him Yeah, because the soldiers here in verses 42 to 44, they demonstrate, don't they, what happens when that's not deep rooted, deep seated faith and belief. You know, they in the face of danger, they quickly forget in the crisis, don't they, the promises that Paul has said will happen. Um, And they try to plan to save themselves by eliminating others. Yeah, they could try and cut and run, don't they? Yeah, they try and cut and run. And um, yeah, I've. I read this great quote that said salvation from disease, death and danger may be a means used by God to bring people to believe the gospel and receive its benefits. But salvation in temporal matters is not to be confused with or held equally with salvation in eternity. And I thought that the soldiers and Paul here really demonstrate that that beautifully. You know, they were struggling in temporal matters and they just ditched this kind of kindling trust and belief um, to try and take matters into their own hands and there is Paul steady eyes on the prize this is my life is more than what is happening to me right now yeah and that's the challenge isn't it we've got to be able to see ahead to what God's promised rather than be yeah consumed with the immediate which is challenging isn't it um, so there's an awful lot of um, verses about this storm. You know, it seems like Luke's at pains to give us so much detail about the journey and about the storm. Why do you think that is? I think like context wise, people of those days did like a long seafaring journey, didn't they? We've got like Odysseus and uh, Jason, people like yeah. that kind of that's the context but obviously like you know Luke, Luke is a bit of a literary genius and I'm sure he loved writing about this from that point of view but also um, like the sea is really important isn't it in the bible like it's um, it's you know right from the beginning um, there's symbolic uh, references to just God's power um, and how in control he is and how out of control um, we are um, talks in Jeremiah 31 verse 35 about how God stirs up the sea and we we see when Jesus when he calms the storm and the disciples are like even the winds and the waves obey him um, like there's this sense that God is in control of the sea um, and the wind it's the wind really isn't it that whips up the sea 
Um, and we very much aren't. And I think in the Bible, often there's this huge, like, it's a place of surrender, isn't it? It's a place where humans aren't in control at all to go on a voyage on the seas, especially in those days. I mean, even nowadays, but especially in those days when a, a new wind from a new direction could absolutely just kill you. Um, it's a place of trust, isn't it? Um, where we just have to surrender to God and, and say, um, I'm going on this journey and it's up to you whether I get there or not. Yeah. So I think it's quite symbolic in the Bible and it's, yeah, it's a, it's a place where lots of exciting stuff happens. I think, um, Nowadays, in this country anyway, I feel like we've lost some of the impact of what the storm scenario, the sea scenario might be. You know, we we don't rely on the weather. Well, we don't knowingly rely on the weather for our survival. You know, where I was in, where I used to be in Uganda, when it didn't rain, people died. And so they believed that if they believed that a person was possessed by an evil spirit and locked up the rain, they would kill that person to try and bring the rain on. And so this concept of weather controlling your life and being having sort of dark spiritual connotations just isn't there for us, is it? And the fact, and often I think when we see stories involving the sea or the storm in the Bible, it's often the sea or a storm. Whereas in this one, it's both. Like when Jesus con controlled the storm, they were on the Sea of Galilee at the time. I've been there. That wind is insane. It is utterly insane in the afternoons when it comes up. I'm not surprised they were terrified. And if there was a storm there as well. And so this mixture of sea and storm as being symbols of badness and chaos. You know, the sea is often a, a thing for chaos, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's, I, I think sometimes maybe the impact is lost on us just because of where we are. But I think the fact that the Bible address, uses these and actually, you know, God addresses it, doesn't he? In Isaiah 43, I'll just read it. It says, but, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you you know when god is saying i will be with you and i'm going to i'm not going to leave your side he uses water and 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 that sort of sea analogy to reassure yeah that was one of the verses that encouraged me actually when i first went out on my first mission trip um was the going through the waters i'm with you but yeah for me like i think for me an equivalent um you're gonna laugh at me this is one of my phobias i hate flying which is ironic for somebody who lives the kind of life that i do um and i very much when i get on an airplane i feel totally out of control mostly because i'm not really sure wow. how the airplane <laughs> yeah, yeah. because i am pilot's um, not one of your skills my friend you have many but driving an airplane's not one they call me have a go mary but no i don't think <laughs> i'd have a go at that um <laughs> anyway like yeah when i step on that plane i totally feel out of control and i don't get how it stays in the air i don't get how like when there's turbulence i don't understand how we don't all die like there's all these things and i feel like i just have to surrender and i had to when I was doing uh, that CCEF counselling course, we had to go down and bury down into the roots of these fears that we had. And I went into my fear of flying. And what I found down there was this, this these lies I was believing about God that, you know, most of my life I'm in control. But as soon as I get on an aeroplane, I'm not in control. And actually, that's a complete lie, isn't it? Like all of my life, I can't control anything. And actually, when you get on an aeroplane, it's put straight in your face, like 
no, you are not in control. Um, and so it's good for me. It's good for me to face up to the fact that, hey, yes, I'm not in control on the airplane and God is sovereign over airplanes. But also the rest of my life, like what makes me think that I'm in control then? Um, and I think if I had to get on a ship back in Bible times, I think I very much would have known that there must be a God who's in control of this because I am not. Um, and I think we don't do enough of those things that put us out of our safety zone and out of our comfort zone. And I think we should because it totally reminds us that we're not in control and God is. And when we throw our trust onto him, that's where we grow. I, I was really struck when I was looking at this, how I think in this storm, God wants us to see, doesn't he, that he saved them. Like, you know, and so many times the salvation language, like the sailors say, oh, all our hope of being saved is abandoned. And we can't be saved. Time and again, there's salvation language from the unbelievers with Paul. Um, and then that helps us to see, doesn't it, that actually it's God that saves them. Yeah, it's ironic, isn't it, that on the front of the ship, I can't find it right now, but on the front of one of the ships is a carving of these two, um, I think they're Roman gods, um, as if, you know, them being at the front of the ship is really what's going to save the ship. Um, and I totally think we do that. We, we make our own carvings, don't we, in life, like, you know, being near a good hospital or um, having the knowledge about something. And we kind of put our carvings up there like, right, this is what I'm going to put my trust in. And actually, yeah, it's the, it's the God of the wind and the waves who really controls everything. It, yeah, it's been interesting living with two doctors through the last part of this pandemic, because whenever they go, whenever either Paul or Helen go to work or when they come in, we all make a point now of saying, not have you saved any lives, but have you prolonged any lives today? Because that, but that is the, you know, the whole hashtag of the pandemic, isn't it? Is the NHS saving lives and the our salvation isn't in the NHS, is it? The best, on the best shifts, you guys would prolong a life, I guess. We, we do try. <laughs> I love the doctors that... I live with. But yeah, just even the language we use around those things is really helpful, isn't it? To keep reminding our hearts that salvation belongs to the Lord and not to the NHS. And it's that yeah. temporal versus eternal thing again, isn't it? Um, keeping that eye, those eyes on, you know, when, when, so there was a super sick patient I had yesterday and when I left the department, they were still alive, but my heart was heavy because they weren't a Christian. And so, yeah, I've saved, you know, that they prolonged their life, but for eternity, I don't know. I think the other thing that struck me about um, all of this with the sea and storm and things is the way that, you know, Paul, despite everything, he, he testifies over and over again to the power and grace of God, even in strange and difficult circumstances. This is another example, isn't it, of when something horrendous was going on around him. And yet he's still pointing others to the saving power of God. And he's still trusting God in the testing situations. Um, I found that so helpful to realise that actually Paul is super consistent here. He always does that, doesn't he? He always testifies to God you know, in every difficult circumstance. Um, and he always trusting him in those situations. I found that so yeah. helpful, a real challenge. And then they, they arrive, don't they, on Malta and you're like, phew, the danger's over. And then like Paul puts his hand in some wood and like my worst, one of my worst fears, I think we're seeing a theme here. I'm afraid of everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> worse than cats, Mary, snakes or cats, which would you take? Uh, 
Did you mean rabid cats? Yes. Yeah, clearly. Because uh, snake. I'd take a snake. I can really? make a chart. Yeah, I'll t- I'll make a chart for you if you like of all the things no. I fear and how much. No, because with rabies, rabies, you've got twenty-four to forty-eight hours to get to a place of safety where you can get treatment. Whereas with a snake bite, you can be dead in twenty minutes. Come on, Lynn, Mary, you're not helping. You're not helping. Sorry, anyway, you were going to say, Mary. <laughs> yeah, the snake like grabs his hand, and you're like, "Wow, you know, this is a time for everyone to come around the campfire and talk about God's goodness." And and then he gets the snake latching onto his hands, and everyone's like, "I love the bit where it's like they watched him, they expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time <laughs> and seeing nothing unusual happen, I just love that description of them all like sat there." like watching waiting for Paul to swell up and die um but it's just amazing again it's like this messy kind of event again you know Paul's getting bitten by a snake which isn't ideal and then God does a miracle um and he's saved or or maybe it wasn't a venomous a venomous state snake what do we think about that I don't think we know do we because it doesn't actually say whether it bit him or it just like it was just hanging on his hand but Either way, I think what's fascinating is their reaction to Paul totally shifts, doesn't it, through that um, encounter. So to start with, they think he must be a really dangerous criminal because the snake's bitten him and he's getting his karma. And then suddenly he's they want to worship him as a god because he's escaped the snakes. So, yeah, something went on with the snake. <laughs> it's odd, isn't it, though, because he like they said that he was a god and then he doesn't actually seem to address that notion because then it goes on to say that he goes to this guy and starts healing this, uh, the father of this man, Publius, Publius. I don't know. He, the father of this man. Uh, and he, and he heals him and then he does a lot of healing of others. Yeah. I just found it odd that, you know, normally Paul and his companions addressed the idolatry question, but here it's not very clear that they did. And I read up on that and it said, we just have to presume that they did because we've seen two previous examples of that in Acts where they say, hold on a minute. I think Luke would just presume that we know that they'd say, no, Jesus is God and explain. So then finally, um, Paul gets to Rome and it struck me how, you know, quite a big section of the Gospels are about Jesus's um, journey to Jerusalem um, as the centre of the Jewish world. And now quite a big section at the end of Acts is all to do with Paul. His eyes are towards Rome. He wants to get to Caesar. And finally here, he gets into Rome. And yet for two years, he's a prisoner chained to a guard. Probably not the same guy the whole time, but he's chained up for his whole first two years in Rome. What What do we think God's doing there? I think that he is taking the focus on uh, off Paul and putting the focus on the gospel. Um, I think it would be um, easy now to have this narrative of, right, Paul arrives in Rome and there's this incredible explosion of Christianity and Paul does this and Paul does that. And then he's martyred in this like incredibly dramatic and godly way. Um, but that doesn't happen, does it? It's kind of, it's kind of the same again, isn't it? He arrives Uh, He spends time with the church there, then he spends time with the Jews there, and then some of the Jews are convinced by what he says. It says in chapter 28, verse 24, um, some weren't, and they disagreed among themselves. Some of them left, something offended by what Paul said. 
Um, and then, yeah, and for two years he stayed there in his rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Um, and he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. And it's like the camera kind of pans out, doesn't it? Um, on what Paul's doing specifically and just pans out into this big picture of like what God's doing, um, spreading the word of his kingdom uh, in that area. Like Paul's reached where he wanted to go. He's reached where God wanted him to be. But it's not all about Paul. It's about what God's doing. Um, and it's and it's about what happens, you know, has happened since then, like church history. It's not all about the people. It's about Jesus. It's about the message, isn't it? Yeah, one thing I read said, God always buries his workmen, but he continues his work. And, you know, even the Apostle Paul dies, doesn't he? His life was prolonged many times, but ultimately he died. But the, the work continues, doesn't it? And the message has reached Rome. And I guess we know from church history that in another couple of hundred years, Rome becomes Christian and, you know, embrace the emperor embraces Paul's message. But we don't see that here, do we? And Paul wouldn't have done, would he? As far as he's concerned, there, you know, there's just a small group of believers. I love this this phrase in Rome. I love this phrase um, in verse 23. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets. You know, I've just got, I feel like it's almost, although obviously it leads up to his death, I feel like these two years in Rome is almost like Paul's reward like a, a temporal reward for everything you've gone through you can now for two years do exactly what you want to do in one place you've got access to jews to gentiles to caesar go for it you know you've tested he's still under house arrest isn't he helen he is still under house arrest but he also but how he's a, he's under house arrest he's not in prison he has visitors. He's not being beaten. He's not being tortured. You know, we've all just endured one year of, of lockdown. I'm not saying, I mean, you know, we could get into our gardens and things. And so that's very different for Paul. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's like, well done, good and faithful servant. But he actually has two years of relative peace in that he can have people into his home. You know, he ends up dying. Um, is it Nero is the emperor at the time? Because and, and he's in Rome at a time when Nero is sane. That's significant. You know, Nero eventually goes mad and kills all the Christians, doesn't he? But Paul is in Rome at a time uh, that Nero is sane, allowing Christianity. People can come in and out of his house. He can he has access to Jews and to Gentiles. The Gospels reached Rome. You know, it, it could feel really like, oh, but I. I actually feel like it's quite an exciting moment, this last section, the, the possibility, like you said, you know, God's at work and we can look back now and see, can't we? This event led to the, the Roman Empire becoming Christian and therefore us being Christians. Um, and I just think it's so great the way Paul kept going, even though he didn't know that. Yeah, it says, doesn't it, in verse 23, these these guys, these Jews who want to chat with him, they came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. It's, it's, it's clearly that people can come to him, um, but he can't go anywhere. But actually, that's good, isn't it? It's In verse 22, it says, uh, they want to know what his views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking about this sect. Um, you know, and if these people everywhere came to know that this, this uh, ex- Pharisee 
Jew who now is causing stirrings among the whole, uh, probably most of the Roman world, they will want to come and see him and be taught by him. Like, it's a great opportunity, isn't it? Even though he's in chain. And imagine that Roman soldier, like right next to him, like day in, day out, probably different ones, like having to sit through all this teaching. I wonder how many of them join the church um, having come to know the gospel. It's just pretty cool. Um, I also found my reference to the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. That's in 28 verse 11 on the front of the ship, by the way. Couldn't find it earlier. Thanks, buddy. Um, yeah, I guess we have to conclude, don't we, that this is the, the most effective place for him to be. And the fact that he's under house arrest isn't stopping his... It's, again, that focus he's got, isn't it? His agenda is not to see the sights of Rome, but to share the gospel. And so... He's got enough freedom to be able to do that. And so, yeah, God's work is continuing. I guess if we were writing it, we'd want a triumphal entry, wouldn't we, into Rome, rather than him sort of being chained to somebody else and coming in in his tattered, shipwrecked clothes. But actually, that's God's best, isn't it? And that's the place that God does his amazing work. I guess the last thing I'd love us to chat about is, I feel a little bit sad to be at the end of Acts. Um what's your biggest takeaway or the most helpful thing you've seen as we've looked at this book over the last few months? Mary? I really loved uh, seeing again and again how the gospel uh, changes lives um, and causes such a stir. So, you know, society changing as well. I loved seeing, you know, in places, people throwing out their idols. Um, I loved uh, seeing how, you know, people were, proclaiming the fact that this message was turning the world upside down um, and causing such a stir. And I was just really challenged by that. Um, I really would love my life um, and the effect, the effect of the gospel on my life um, to cause stirs, uh, a stirring in the world around me um, and, and the life of our church um, and the life of the work that we do in the country that I live in. I really want to see, you know, like in the life of that slave girl, um, who who um, Paul healed? Um, just her life was turned completely around, and and justice was done. She was um, not a slave anymore to that kind of demonic oppression. Um, and I'd really, I just think that the gospel doesn't just stop at us hearing it and um, saying, "Well, this is good for me, and I'm saved, and I love Jesus," and that. But it, it, it's the point of it as well is to be a blessing to others, um, and that really challenged me. Thanks. That's really helpful. Yeah. Helen? For me, I think as I was looking back over the whole of Acts, it was the concept of um, God being with us in the storms. It wasn't just this thing, this chat, this part today that made me think of that. I've been mulling a lot over um, when Stephen is martyred, uh, you know, uh, in that part where he says he looked up to heaven and he saw Jesus standing, waiting for like, it's almost it was a sort of reaching down like you're almost there come to me moment and then thinking about um Paul in his most desperate and trying moments Jesus coming to him or an angel coming to him and the Lord encouraging him to stay on track it's it's going to be okay ultimately it's going to be okay um I found that really helpful as I was contemplating the country that we are looking to move towards it is not an easy place to be and so I found that so helpful that Paul had and, and Stephen 
had encouragement from the Lord in this way and they persisted and testified and followed through on what they were doing despite the circumstances they were in. I found that an incredible challenge because I'm scared (laughs) and yet you know these truths in the Bible and these witnesses in the Bible show me that God is greater than those circumstances and my issues are temporal and not eternal and I think it's so important when we are in difficult situations that we keep that in mind so I found that a real challenge because it's so easy to become more introspective isn't it when you're struggling and you're in the hard place it's easy to become introspective rely more on yourself no I don't need help with this I can I just need to do this when this when I can make this happen it's going to be okay whereas actually the the whole of Acts shows us it's not us in control and actually the more that we let things go to God the more we can manage those circumstances I I've been wrestling I think through the last well all of Acts but we've also been reading at church um a book about the persecuted church and the um, just the suffering that people in some countries would come under for sharing their faith. And I think that combined with just Paul's razor sharp focus on my purpose is to share Jesus. The best thing I can be doing with my life is to share Jesus has just challenged me about how off focus I often am and I'm not thinking in that clear way about this is what my life's my life's a gift it's been given for to me to share the Lord Jesus and I'm slow to do that but yeah I've been wrestling with that the last couple of weeks really and then really helpfully this week I was just reading Jonah in my quiet times and just saw so clearly that it's God's work isn't it and it's not about Jill digging deeper and being better it's about Jill depending on the Lord more and listening to where he's at work and what, you know, what work he's doing that I can get on board with and that I can speak into. I think, yeah, that, that's been a wrestle for me. Like, and, and there's some truth in that. I need to deal with my fears. I need to make sure the truth of who God is and what he's done is the, um, the passion of my heart. But then actually it's God that's the evangelist, isn't it? It's God that, like we've all said, it's God that changes lives. Um, and am I prepared to depend on him and just be more prayerful about my everyday life? Lord, who is it today that you would like me to talk to about Jesus? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's been a, there's a freedom in that as well, isn't it? That it's not, the responsibility is not on us. And yeah, I think like what Mary was saying, the way this ends, it's not about Paul. It's about the gospel and it's God's work, isn't it? And what a privilege it is that we get to be part of that and that we get to see him doing that beautiful saving work. Mm. Um, we are back in a few weeks looking at the book of Ruth so yeah um, we would love you to join us for that and um, thanks so much ladies 